Good morning. Love to be able to tell you about an incredible call that I, I received not long ago. I mean, it was just an absolutely incredible call. Uh, a little bit of a surprise, uh, but it was one of those calls that I'll never, I'll never forget. Uh, I'm sorry. Before I do that, you guys, you know my name. I'm Clary Butler, young adults pastor at Willow Creek. Um, but I don't know your name. So can you all give me your name on the count of three? Everyone just shout, just shout your name. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I heard you, Sandy and Melissa and Sarah and Mark. What beautiful names, right? Thanks so much for having me here, me and my wife. Um, we're, we're just um, ecstatic to be here. Are you guys excited to be here? Great, great. So now can I tell my story about the call? Great, now that we've officially introduced one another to each other. So here's, here's what happened. I received this call after about two seasons of uh, trying out for the football team at the University of Alabama. I received the call that I made the football team uh, as a walk-on. Yep, there I am. There I am. Um, and that's me. Just, just hold your applause until you hear the rest of the story. You may not be applauding. Um, so that's me. I'm actually at um, Miami Dolphins Stadium. That was uh, during the Orange Bowl after the game. And you'll notice how clean my uniform is because I made it on the team, but I didn't play in that game. Yeah, I appreciate the sympathy. Um, but, but, but let me tell you what happened. So, um, you know, after two seasons, 80 of us tried out for the team. The year that I tried out, um, five of us made it. Two of us actually got to, to play in a game. But, but on this game, I didn't get a chance to play. And I don't know why, because here I am taking pictures on the sideline during the game. I don't know why I never got in the game, right? Um, and when I wasn't taking pictures on the sideline, I was standing by the coach the entire time. I have no idea why I didn't get in the game. But um, we were at that game, and we were playing against the University of Michigan Wolverines. Um, It was my senior year. It was Tom Brady's senior year, and so we were playing against Tom Brady and the Michigan Wolverines um, in the Orange Bowl. This is 2000. And um, sure enough, the game is a pretty tight game, and um, we go into overtime. And so they get the ball first, Tom Brady, he gets the ball, and they go right down and they score a touchdown. But no worries, because Alabama has the football the Crimson Tide, right? 15 national championships. We were number three in the nation that year. We didn't take a Big Ten team seriously. I don't know who does. This is the time where you say just roll tide, right? And, and so there we were. We found ourselves in overtime. We were behind, and, and so we scored a touchdown. Sean Alexander was our running back that year. We scored a touchdown, and so we lined up to kick the extra kick, the extra point, and so this was going to send us into double overtime. And so, and when I say um, send us, I meant them because I was standing on the sidelines the entire game. But, but here we are, um, about to kick the kick for the extra point to send us into double overtime, and our kicker missed the kick. Just like that. Uh, the game is over. The season is over. I mean, it was just, it was so abrupt. My uh, college football experience is over. My college academic career in undergrad is over just like that. It wasn't supposed to end that way. Um, I love to tell you how it was supposed to end. Um, what was supposed to happen was the, um, the, the coach was supposed to call my number. Remember, I was telling you about this call, right? So the coach was supposed to call my number, and then I was supposed to go trotting onto the football field, and, and the quarterback was supposed to call my play. And then um, he was supposed to throw the ball to me in the end zone. I was supposed to stretch out and catch the game-winning touchdown. And the referee was supposed to call touchdown. And, and we were supposed to win the game. And, and from there, 
um, there was supposed to be um, a movie written about me. So you guys heard of Rudy, right? The walk on at Notre Dame, the movie, right? So instead of Rudy, um, it should have said Clary. Yeah, a movie about me. Clary. Can, can you see it? I can see it. Clary starring Denzel Washington. That's what was supposed to happen, right? And then they were supposed to play my movie for the, the senior women's night, the senior night that they're going to have here. And, and, and um, that's what was supposed to happen. But instead, our consolation prize was a disc man. And uh, if you've never heard of what a disc man is, you'll have to Google it. There's a little CD that you put into this contraption, and people used to actually walk around with this huge thing called a disc man. That was our consolation prize in 2000. And so... Um, I was supposed to end up in the movies, and I didn't, and uh, Tom Brady, he ended up doing whatever he's doing, and um, it wasn't supposed to end that way, Uh, and so this was a big surprise to me uh, to be here. I'm so elated to be here. Thanks uh, so much to uh, Pastor Dan, Pastor Richard, and, and all the wonderful hospitality I've received here, but this is a surprise. As a matter of fact, um, it's so much of a surprise to me. Apparently, it's a surprise to other people as well because um, when I was first announced, um, the first time I had an opportunity to share um, at Willow Creek, which is my home church, um, they announced that I would be the speaker for that next week. Um, And uh, and then when they put my name up on the screen at the church, uh, I was sitting next to a lady in the auditorium, and she looked at me. She was so surprised. She looked at me, and she said, You? Gee, thanks. I'm surprised also. I'm supposed to be in the movies. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I'm glad to be here. Um, can I tell you about another call? Um, my wife, uh, after 25 years of, I won't call it uh, stalking, that's a bad word, but, um, but I followed her around for about 25 years. Uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood in Charleston, South Carolina, about three minutes away. Um, her dad was my... Uh, uh, soccer coach and uh, baseball coach, and, and so we just kind of grew up together. And after 25 years, persistently, I received the call. She called me, and she accepted uh, to go out on a date with me. And, uh, and boy, wasn't that an incredible call, right? And, um, and this month, uh, we will celebrate five years being married, this month, August 21st. Yeah. Yeah. And she's here with me, and that's a picture of us exactly five years ago this month. Uh, and uh, there we are. And, um, and so that was an incredible call. My wife, who knows that I love planning huge events and huge parties, that's part of my responsibilities at, at Willow Creek, you know, these, these large events, she knows how much I love doing that and just bringing a lot of people together. So she allowed me to plan our entire wedding. I know what you're thinking. This is going to end in disaster, right? But she allowed me to plan the entire thing. And so from, from the bridesmaid to the groomman, the program, the order of the service, the music, the rehearsal dinner, the reception, everything, the color, she allowed me to plan everything. And, uh, and everything was absolutely glorious. Everything was absolutely glorious, except for um, uh, the, the little flower girl as she came into the to the uh, to the big auditorium where we had the the wedding she saw herself on the big screen and she it must have uh, really rattled her nerves and so she darted right back out the church but other than that everything was glorious I mean it was just an absolutely perfect day except for the fact that um, one of my groomsmen he locked his knees and so he fainted right in the middle of the service but other than that 
everything was just wonderful. I mean, it was just a glorious day. And, and then there's a picture um, where I was called upon. That's my dad who was our officiant for the, for the wedding. I was called upon to give our vows. He said that the lovely couple has prepared vows. And I had planned everything except the vows. Who knew, right? Who knew? The most important part where you profess your love and how you're going to spend the rest of your life with the person that you admire and love the most, and I forgot the vow. So there I am five years ago this month, and I am waiting on God to speak to my heart as I'm holding the microphone, and sure enough, God spoke to my heart, and I said something, and everyone said, aw, and we're living happily ever after. Can I tell you about one more call? And incidentally, I, I did mention that she's here. Um, we don't have any children. Um, she has a dog. Um, and so um, if you guys are looking for a dog, it's for sale, right? Um, one more call, one more call. So I went to um, this concert, which was called, uh, it was the Hillsong concert. It was at our church, August 29th of last year. Really good uh, concert, uh, Hillsong from Australia. They came in town, and I mean, it was a, it was a really good deal. And uh, so I was there. And uh, about halfway in, there's this evangelist called Christine Kane. She was up, and she's a powerful communicator, and so she was praying and just kind of sharing the good news of Jesus. And um, I, I kind of got a little tired. It was a Friday evening. I got a little tired, so I figured I wasn't going to stay for the rest of the concert. So when she was done, I headed home. I got home, and about three minutes after I got in the door, we received another call. And this time, my wife picked up the phone, and I must have looked away for a second because when I looked back, my wife was frozen, and she had dropped the phone. She had dropped the phone. So the first call I received uh, was the call for a football, right? That was the first example. I, I didn't get the call that I wanted. I, I wanted to be the, the star of the game. I didn't get the call that I wanted. The second call um, was a, a call that I, I got, but I didn't know what to say. I was speechless standing at the altar when, when I was called upon to recite the vows. A third example, I'm not sure I really wanted this call. Not sure. Can you think back to a time when you received a call that really changed your life? You think back to a moment in time when everything changed. This is my first question. I've got maybe three questions, and, um, and then we'll call it a day. The book of Job starts with a man called by God and loved by God, one of the wealthiest men on earth, an incredible family man, incredible father, a provider. He has oxen and cattle and land. And I want to share the words of Gardner C. Taylor uh, because he, he really gave a great synopsis of what Job is all about. So I just want to kind of share how he said it because I, I really can't say it any better than the way that he said it. Um, and Gardner Taylor, was a, he was a distant mentor of mine. And um, he's passed away now, and, and by distant mentor, what I mean is when he was living, um, we never met, and he has no idea who I am. But um, other than that, um, here are the words that he said. He said that um, Job has illuminated the darkness for over 25 centuries of human living. He said the words of Job, they've touched us in a peculiar way. Whenever men and women have thought seriously about the issues of life, they have reflected upon these words and thought on the sentiments of Job's, an ancient summer of suffering. These words speak to the most authentic nature of our human existences. The whole book of Job, it's an accurate transcript of human life. It's a curriculum vitae. 
uh, resume of what the human condition is all about. You've read Job, and so you know that it speaks of tears and laughter, joy and sorrow, success and adversity, hopefulness and hopelessness, sunshine and storms, all touched by the living presence of the everlasting God. Customs go in and out of style. Clothes go in and out of style, right? Bell bottoms, hammer pants, you guys remember those things. Personal fashion goes in and out of style. Popular genres of music, they go in and out of style. As a matter of fact, everything goes in and out of style except for the disc man. The disc man does not come back in style. Um, so almost everything comes in and out of style. And, and baseball cards. Baseball cards don't come back in style. My father told me 20 years ago, he said, you know, if you just hold on to these baseball cards, one day they're going to be worth a fortune. And so I did. I held on to those baseball cards, and uh, I kept them in mint condition, and to this day, I have three shoeboxes full of mint condition baseball cards, and uh, 20 years later, they aren't worth a hill of beans. So almost everything comes in and out of style, but there is one thing that never goes out of style. Men and women, since the beginning of time, cry in all cultures cross-culturally, and in all languages. People weep in despair in all cultures. There is a common denominator. Taylor called it a brooding presence in all of our lives. A God that evaluates the whole of human existence, subspatia eternitate, under the very light of eternity. And even though we don't always sense God's presence, he's there. From Job comes these familiar phrases, God gives and God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And all the days of my appointed time, I'm going to wait until my change comes. Job is the model of faithfulness, so much so that God allows Job to be tried. He allows Job to be tested, to be tempted. And so here comes the first call for Job. Job, you've been robbed, the caller says. Some Sabaeans have raided your property, stole many of your animals, and they've killed all of your farmhands. While Job was finishing that call, another call came through. Um, the back of your property, Job, has been struck by lightning, and it has killed all of your shepherds. While Job was finishing that call, here comes another call. The Chaldeans must have heard of what the Sabaeans did, and so now they have also raided your property. The Chaldeans have stolen all of your camels. Can you imagine how difficult it must be to steal a camel, right? Come on, come on, come on, camel. Okay. Um, so while he was finishing that call, here comes another call. A tornado just touched down to your oldest son's home. It's killed your oldest son. While Job was finishing that call, he received another call. Actually, all of your children were having a feast with your oldest son at his house on your property and all of your children have now passed away. While Job was finishing that call, he received another call. This time it was from his doctor. Job, you have an incurable disease. It doesn't look good. There isn't anything that I can do. I'm sorry. This man is in the middle of a storm. I'm cool with a little rain, but this is ridiculous. This is a storm like we've never seen. You know, I'm, I'm cool with a little rain because I, I don't like a whole lot of sun. You know, um, chocolate melts in the sun. So, so I, don't, I don't like a lot of sun. Uh, but this is too much. 
this is too much. He's in the middle of a storm. And, and I'm cool with a little bit of rain. You know, um, short people, not that I'm short, but um, short people have an added benefit in the rain. Did you guys know this? Um, yeah, short people, um, we're the last, they are the last people to get rained on. Added benefit. Who knew? Um, the first to drown, but the last to get rained on. And so you, you take the good with the bad. But this is too much. This is a storm like we've never seen. This is ridiculous. Make it stop. Job, stop answering the call. The 19th chapter finds this man, Job, enduring his friends who have for 18 chapters confronted him. They've criticized and mocked and accused and indicted and condemned and blamed him for 18 chapters. And in the 19th chapter, he can bear it no longer. This is his reply to their heartless judgment and their long vitriolic indictment of his calamity as they sit around the bedside of his misery. He says to them, why will you vex my soul? He hears the sound of rain as he looks upon the landscape of his life. Once there had been the laughter of children, fruitful fields and bustling cattle and blissful sheep, but now the forecast is filled with rain unimaginable rain, storm, devastation, the graves of children, ruined crops and cattle, a bankrupt fortune for a child of God. In one hour, he has become a father with no children, a farmer with no cattle, a wealthy businessman with no currency and no employees. His human assets are all gone. Seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 mules, one of the wealthiest men on earth. It wasn't supposed to end this way. What do you do when life hits you in the mouth? Job says to his friends, why will you vex my soul? Break me into pieces with words. Ten times have you reproached me. You're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. Maybe I have made a mistake, but why would you magnify my condemned condition?" And beyond that, he says, God seems to be my enemy. Last thing I need is for my friends also to turn against me. We humans really can bear almost anything. We can bear almost anything in the darkness of our human plight. When we reach out our hands, trembling and pleading, if when we reach out our hands, the great hands that once waved upon the universe and said, let there be, and placed the mountains in place, and curve the edges of the sea and balance the hills with the valleys, if that great hand will take our hands when we reach our hands out trembling, we can bear almost anything. But for Job, the window as he looked upon the landscape of his life has dimmed, it's raining, he's in the midst of a storm. August 29th that day, after the Hillsong concert, I got home three minutes after I got home. It's about nine o'clock-ish at night. Um, on a Friday evening, received that call. My wife picked it up. I looked uh, at her. Uh, she was frozen. She had dropped the phone. And so I picked up the phone, realized that it was her doctor. And we had been waiting on some test results, but this is a little unusual uh, because it's nine o'clock on a Friday evening. So you really don't expect a call from your doctor. But I, I picked up the telephone and, uh, and I said, uh, hey, doc, What's the word? And he said uh, words that I hope you never have to hear in your life. Your wife has cancer. 
Come on, man. She's 33 years old. She's not even supposed to get checked for that type of cancer until after she's 40. Would she live? Would she die? How painful will this be? How costly will this be? What do we do now? What do I do now? What do I say now? If God be for us, what difference does it make who is against us? If God be for us, then our enemies are like gnats passing time until they happen to stumble across the opportunity to disturb someone else. If God be for us, incidents, accidents, and calamity can only come but so close. Somebody shout, if God. If God be for us, we can look in the very face of adversity and evil and hatred and say, I forgive you, if God. But, my dear friends, if it seems that God is against us, what else is there left? I don't know why in the middle of a storm, in the middle of rain, it sometimes seems, if I'm just going to be honest, as though there isn't a friend that we have on earth. Margaret Shepherd said, sometimes the only available transportation to your destiny is a leap of faith. John Perkins said, we can't avoid pain. We are redeemed and renewed through pain. Chris Cleve said, a scar means you have survived. Have you ever felt like most days you're strong enough to take just about anything, but not today? That's how I felt. But if you've learned or we have learned anything from Job, we must learn that you can't have great victory without great sorrow. You can't have great triumph without a great trial. Only God can fill the void left and emptied by the issues of this life. Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian and pastor, he had rheumatoid arthritis that made his life nearly unbearable. Another theologian, Henry Nouwen, he wrestled with the theology of his personal identity that nearly crushed his faith. King David of the Old Testament and his son Solomon, they had problems with the ladies, problems with their flesh. The Apostle Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. My pastor, Bill Hybels, uh, after he was 18, he left his job and he fell into the deepest, darkest time of his life before finding the presence of a living Savior. Mrs. Job, Job's wife, she looks at him and says, we don't have any more money. Property is all destroyed. Our children are gone. I'm going to have to bury them. It looks as though I'm going to have to bury you as well. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just renounce your faith and die? Now, to show you that my faith can never be compared, and my wisdom, if there is any, can never be compared uh, to the wisdom and faith of Job, um, his, his wife said, curse God and die, and he didn't. My wife said, buy me a dog, and I did. Who had greater faith? Second question. How will you respond when the tide of life turns against you and all you can see are storms? How will you respond? It is our Lord that John wrote about when he said, He is worthy because he was slain. The, the blood marks in his hands are the seal of authority. And maybe that's it. Our redemption and deliverance lies in the solemn appointment and occasion to walk the way of Jesus. 
to walk the way of suffering, to walk the way of difficulty, to be able to experience the way of the cross. Maybe that's where our deliverance lies. This, this word that's used in the 19th chapter of Job, Redeemer, is ga'al in the Hebrew, which, which also means deliverance. So Redeemer, deliverance. And so maybe we get our deliverance by going through the difficulty. You know, I had the opportunity two weeks ago. I was actually in uh, Jerusalem. I was in Israel. And um, I went the way, those of you that have been there, you know that um, right there on the Mount of Olives, there's a space where you can sit where they believe that Jesus himself sat as he looked over the old city of Jerusalem. And, and, and he wept tears as he considered the plight of Jerusalem because they were and still are fighting over physical territory when he spent his life talking about a new Jerusalem or a kingdom that's not made with hands. Are you guys with me? And, and so I, I had an opportunity to sit there before I walked towards Gethsemane and then we walked into Jerusalem just walking the way of the cross. And maybe, maybe the reality is that, that our redemption and our deliverance lies in the solemn appointment and occasion to weep bitter tears and go to our own Gethsemane and climb on our own Calvary. Maybe that's where redemption is. Job said, God has overthrown me. And trapped me in his midst. He has fenced up my way that I cannot pass. He has set darkness in my sight. Job said, God has stripped me of my glory. He has taken the crown off of my head. Job said, God has destroyed me on every side. And my hope, God, he has kindled his wrath against me. God, he has counted me as one of his enemies. His troops come together and rise up their way against me and encamped about my tabernacle. He has put his... My brethren far from me and my acquaintances are estranged from me. My family has failed and my familiar friends have forgotten me. The people that dwell in my house consider me a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I called my servant and he gave me no answer. My breath is strange to my wife. Young children despise me. I rose and they spoke against me. All my inward friends abhor me. My bone cleaves to my flesh. How will you answer when you're in the middle of a storm? This is the pivotal question of life. Some men cry out against God, but it's often said that the test of a man is the fight he makes, the grit he daily shows, the the way he stands upon his feet and takes life's numerous bumps and blows. It's the storms of life, isn't it, that refine and define us. How will Job answer? How do you answer when the storm rages against you, when you have no hiding place, when your head is defenseless underneath the unfriendly elements? How will you answer in the deep, dark places of the soul where the sides of the valley rise steep against you and there is no sunlight on your path? How will you answer when it seems like life is at ebb tide and all that you once counted dare is against you? How will you answer? The window has dimmed because of the dark of night. It's raining. Job looks out and he sees a storm. Then Job takes his sticky sores and separates them as the scabs come off the sheet. He gets up to look out upon the landscape. He sees the rain, sees the lightning, he hears the thunder, and he says these words. I know my Redeemer lives. Tired. I know my Redeemer lives. Terrified. 
I know my Redeemer lives, blinded by the dark of night. I know my Redeemer lives, forsaken by friends and family. I know my Redeemer lives. Job only could have been talking about one of two things. Either he's talking about a kinsman Redeemer. A kinsman Redeemer is like a family avenger. That's, that's that one person in your family that, that would exact uh, vigilante justice to go and, and get uh, recompense for something that had been wrong to the family. And so either he's talking about a blood brother, a blood relative that was going to find out who, who was um, enacting malice towards Job that caused his death, his wrongful death. And then was going to take that person to court, um, have that person executed, get the money from that person's family, and then pay Job's wife for his wrongful death. Either he's talking about a, a, a family avenger or, or a kinsman redeemer, or he's talking about another type of redeemer. Perhaps he's talking about a redeemer that's alive today and can stand at the last day, can give Job an eternal just reward for a job well done. Since Job's blood brothers have deserted him by chapter 19, if they don't return until chapter 42, I doubt he's talking about his non-courageous blood brothers. But thankfully, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do you know him? Somebody shout amen. Job must have been talking about a living Savior one that will remain on earth when he said, I know my Redeemer lives. Job doubles down and turns to God instead of away from God. He's saying that there must be a God somewhere. When he looks out, uh, and sometimes we see nothing but hatred and evil, and we don't know uh, what tomorrow will bring, there must be a God somewhere. When it seems as though the church is under attack and the greatest Christian thinkers wrestle with the deepest current concerns of life with no easy answers, there must be a God somewhere. When you hear of Christians in other parts of the world losing their life because of their faith through persecution, there must be a God somewhere. When our young adults and children are starting to lose confidence in the church and they wrestle with their place in society, there must be a God somewhere. The doctor told us that uh, my wife is going to have to take medicine for the next 10 years. And um, because of her age, our age, um, it's unlikely that we would have children. It would take a miracle, and I believe in miracles. Um, but, you know, I, w- I would give anything to hold my son uh, in my arms. I-, I would give anything. Uh, God had a son, and he gave his son to atone for our unrighteousness. He gave his son away. I couldn't give give my son away. I would give anything to have a son and to give him away. I I couldn't do it. My wife has a dog. You can sacrifice the dog. Take the dog. But not my son. That's proof that there must be a God somewhere. Though the night may be very dark, there is a God somewhere. And Job goes on to say and gives this great foreshadowing by saying, when skin worms destroy this body, in my flesh I shall see God. So you want to know how can you sing in the rain? How can you answer the question, the pivotal question of life, even in the midst of a storm? Here's how Job did it. He looked forward and said, even when skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. It takes great faith to believe in the not yet. 
Do I have a witness today? Some people call it high religion to trust that the best is yet ahead. That's the great eschatological hope of the Christian life, that even in, though this body is destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God. He says, whom I shall see for myself. This word shall is a type of foreshadowing, and it must have been what Paul was talking about when he said, I believe or I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It must have been what Isaiah was talking about when he said, every valley shall be exalted and every hill shall be made low. The crooked way shall be made straight. The rough places shall be made plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the, all flesh shall see it together. This must have been what David was talking about when he said, I'll bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear about it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us rejoice and exalt his name together. I thought this is a great opportunity for us to put our hands together and let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name together. This must have been what Jesus was talking about when he said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that endure great difficulty and persecution. Jesus said as he stood on the mount and looked over into the Sea of Galilee. He said, Blessed are they that endure great difficulty and persecution, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. The way may be dark. But the morning shall come. Do you all believe that? The way may be hard, but it is bound to become filled with the sufficiency of grace. I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand for me at the last day. And even though skin worms destroy my body in my flesh, I shall see God. Here's my third and final question. Has God ever delivered you? Because if he has, he can do it again. The probability of us existing as human beings was one in 400 trillion. And so I find it hard to believe that we are a mistake. I find it very reasonable to believe that God loves us more than I can describe. He will not abandon us now, especially in the midst of difficulty. When the rain stopped for Job... The soil of his estate had been fertilized by both the rain and, the so and his tears. His crops became fruitful again. His cattle multiplied double. He heard a cry again, but this time instead of a, a cry of sorrow, it was the cry of a newborn child. Him and his wife, after the storm, they had children again. His fields bustled again. He was able to steward his resources again. God blessed him after the storm. And so the reality is Job did not lose his mind in the middle of the storm because he must have known that God had something for him after the storm. And that's a great word for all of us. Even in the midst of any difficulty we may face, don't lose your mind in the storm because you're going to need your mind for all of the great blessings God has for you after the storm. That's another reason to praise God. Somebody shout amen. So what should you think, as I'm concluding, what should you think? Imagine a world where God might have a greater purpose for your pain. Maybe there is something he's trying to do through you or in you as a result of your troubles. 
my wife, in the midst of her battle, uh, she had to battle flu and pneumonia. Um, she lost her hair and uh, many other difficult things that I don't have time to explain, but um, she's now done with the difficulty of chemotherapy. She's done with radiation. Um, she only has... She, she only has um, a few minor treatments left. Um, God has strengthened her. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, she, she's climbed a mountain recently and run a 5K. Um, she's stronger and stronger every day. Her hair is growing back. It, it's, uh, it's so beautiful. She's got hair like fine silk, and she's got eyes like dotted pearls, and she's got a body like Venus de Milo. I mean, God really has blessed me. Um, So, so how should you feel? I think it's okay to feel the pain, right? It's okay to cry. Uh, but after you cry, embrace the joy of the Lord. Don't stay in despair. What, what should you do? In the words of Patrick Kavanaugh, let grief be a falling leaf at the dawning of the day. Smile through the trial. Sing in the rain. Here's my final challenge. Uh, every one of us is on an incredible journey. We're all living in an award-winning movie drama called Life. I finally made it to the movie. For some of us, it's, a, it's a, an action film. For some of us, it's a mystery. Others of us, it's a thriller or a comedy, maybe even a romantic comedy. Um, but don't allow one bad scene to cancel your entire movie. Let's allow God to be the star of the show, the best actor, and the main character. As a matter of fact, um, the oncologist, my wife's oncologist, when um, he, he gave me this, this binder, and I guess it was supposed to be um, the last scene of my wife's movie, perhaps, uh, as he gave me the glim percentage chances of her being able to survive. He had no idea that I was going to use this binder to share the words of, of hope today that, that our Redeemer lives. No idea today my wife is stronger than ever. I'm, I'm very thankful about that. And so even in the midst of difficulty or disappointment, uh, sometimes I know it's hard to be beaten and embarrassed and lose and make adjustments and lose again and uh, go through cycles of loneliness and depression and joblessness or hopelessness or abandonment or heartbreak. Uh, you're going to want to give up. Don't. Understand. If Job is correct, if the Bible is correct, God is still alive. There is a God somewhere. How can you sing in the rain? How can you bless God when you've been hit in the mouth? I don't know exactly. I'm not the Pope. I'm, I'm just the young adult pastor at Willow. But um, I can say for us, it was through prayer. It was through surrounding ourselves with our small group um, that was encouraging. Could you imagine if Job had surrounded himself with believers um, instead of the non-believers? So if you're going through, I would encourage you to do that. It was our small group that sat with her for four hours of chemotherapy sometimes, uh, just being around people that were encouraging. It was plugging in and serving and, and having a laser focus on what God had for us to do. Um, that's, that's what I would suggest. I would not suggest buying a dog. I would not suggest that. Um, but I'll tell you that, that God is he's still able. And all of us will probably at some point in our life receive that call. 
And uh, maybe one or two of you have already received it. And you don't even have enough strength to say, I know my Redeemer lives. If you don't, let me say it for you. He lives. Would you stand? Love the privilege of being able to pray with you. Thank you so much for letting me share part of our story with bowed heads. Dear God, we're so grateful that you remind us often through your holy word that not only were you alive, but you are alive. So we pray that you would walk with each of us every day with simple reminders that you are our redeemer. Simple reminders that we can sing in the rain. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accepted in your sight. You are our strength. You are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that prayer, would you shout amen? Thank you, Pastor Cleary. Church, we're going to close with a song. The song is to follow what Pastor Cleary has given us. That no matter what's coming against you, that you could be a soul on fire and make a difference in the world. So sing with me. God, I'm running for your heart. I'm running for your heart till 